welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, starring Jerry Springer with Gene Galvin and me, I am Maria Corelli. We are recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience here in Folk School Coffee Parlor of Ludlow, Kentucky. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce Judge Jerry Springer. My baby. Oh, oh, You heard what, what she just said. She said judge, judge Jerry Springer. Now, here's what that means. <laughs> what does it mean, Gene? So today, uh, I got, I, I have people that inform me. So today I was informed. You, you have no people. Of, have no people <laughs> of something that was on the internet. And boy, is it on the internet. And by the way, by the end of the day, it was really, really on the internet. And that is information about a new television show that is in production that according to these various articles across a lots of, and they're all kind of trade websites, uh, trying to think of the various ones, well, New York Post, and, but a whole bunch of, they picked it up from, I forget the source, but a lot of trade kind of websites that said that there's a new show coming out, like Judge Judy, we all know who Judge Judy is, <laughs> Now, Maria, there's going to be Judge Jerry Springer. Well, wait a second. Are you serious? Order in the court. (laughs) Order in the court. Do I feel feel a hashtag coming on? Really? really? Everybody, hashtag Judge Jerry. So is that true? No. First of all, I haven't been told anything. So you would think... If there was a show where I was the judge, wouldn't uh-huh. they let me know? I mean, because what if the plaintiffs and defendants show up in court and I'm not there yet? They have to let me know. You would Plus, think. It's time, it takes time to get fitted for a robe, all this stuff. <laughs> no, I, all I know is that, yeah, there's been interest and talk about doing something like that. But honestly, there's, there's no deal yet. There's no, I haven't, they would let me know. I mean, I saw the same things, and I right. thought, I do like being called honorable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I can tell you it's the first time in my life, <laughs> 74 years, finally somebody says, that's never been in the same sentence, honorable Jerry. But no, that is just an article that was in the, well, in the paper. On. And um, no, Slow I... Slow down here, Judge. So, Judge, judge there yeah. is... You do not deny that there is some activity going on that you didn't announce. Let's make this clear, because I talked to you this morning when I saw this. That is not something that came from Jerry Springer. No, in the television business, there are always people, there are always companies or whatever that have ideas for shows that put together pilots or whatever, and, and then they go and talk to companies that own TV stations and produce shows, et cetera. So all that business happens way above my pay grade. So if they work out something, then I'm sure they'll then come to me and say, hey, we'll Let's give you $150 million and you can be a judge. <laughs> I tune hey, in. No. Uh, but no, I, I, I saw the same article only because they... The morning, you start getting emails from everybody. Yeah. Suddenly, everyone's my best friend. Of course. I, well, I'm, I'm yeah. always there, you know. Yeah. What's Remember in it for me? me? Yeah. Uh, but look. So, uh, no, it, 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 there's a story about it, but un, 
till there's <laughs> something happens, and then I'll let you know. Then you're, you're not but denying you, it, but you're not confirming. Well, I don't have. I, I can d- deny. I don't have a deal at all. Right. That absolutely. I can absolutely. Do. Hey, by the way, it it, it makes sense, and I I've, I've told you this. It makes <laughs> sense because, and here are some things that people may not know. Maria, he is a, and this is a good law school. Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, a law school graduate. That's a, that's a really good law school. He is a, uh, was a mayor of the city of Cincinnati. He was a council member for a number of years. He ran for governor in the Democratic primary 1982, if I'm not mistaken. He has flirted with running for the U.S. Senate in Ohio as well as governor in recent years. So you could be actually in real life, it would never be a stretch to hear that you would be running for judge. Now, this is a TV judge show, should it happen. <laughs> and people should know, it's, it, these are typically small claims court. Yeah, I mean, they, they have uh, legal validity. In other words, when you go on these, like Judge Judy, when she makes a decision, that counts. You can't then appeal it in the Court of Common Pleas or some other court in your state. That's it. You sign you sign a some document or yeah. a Yeah, so in other words, these TV judges, they decide the case. It's usually small claims, $5,000 or less and I stuff like no that. I had no idea. She was yeah, like, but when you say I graduated law school and, and, and I did practice for a while, but the deal is, to be honest, most of my clients ultimately became guests on my TV show. <laughs> <laughs> So let's, I just want to, which tells you what kind of a lawyer I was yeah. and, and why my Jay. show did so well with the prison audience. Um, which, by the way, yeah. is true. Yeah. And, oh, we're uh, big in prisons. Oh, man. But if, you, if, if this does come to be, I really hope it does, because to be honest, <clears throat> I, think it'd be, I think it would be a very entertaining show. And I think that you would be very good at it. Because I think you have the skills and obviously the broadcast skills, but you do have the background, the political background, the sensitivity. I think it's a great idea, and I just sit here. You just want to be bailiff. Well, I'm thinking, what's in it for me? <laughs> I'm trying can, to figure out. I can what's see in it for you me. in like a bailiff's outfit, like yeah, a don- oversized, like, like Don Knotts, you know, like Don Knotts. <laughs> if you remember that you reference could, yeah, from like 1960, could, yeah. yeah, really, yeah. I, I could be 1960 uh, reference. Yeah. So. Well, anyway. Who did he play on, uh, with Andy Griffith? Barney Fife. Barney Fife, yeah, which was a I can kind of a, a Barney Fife. Uh, yeah, a, a weak yeah. punk cop. Here, raise your right hand. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, I hope it comes to be. So I think out of respect, because we have been, and we require everybody that comes in here to call you Mayor Springer, because you're a former mayor, but I'm <laughs> shifting it over to Judge Jerry. <laughs> and I, so I think you should be given the honor you deserve. Wouldn't, but, it, wouldn't it be your honor? Wouldn't we have it, to say It will be. If I think from here forward, it's your honor. <laughs> you know, right now, how about unemployed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're unemployed, yeah. Hey, by the way, last week we had on Michael Jonathan, who is the host of a great show in Lexington, Kentucky, but actually seen across the world because it's on the Armed Forces Network and all over the U.S., and that is... Uh, Wood Song's Old Time Radio Hour. Do I have that exactly right, Maria? I think I do. And Michael Jonathan created that and hosts that. And he's, uh, in his own right, a prominent folk singer in America and been at it for a few years. So 
He was on last week. We begged him to come back, and he's on again tonight, and so stick around for that. Uh, and um, I, I think that, and we established last week, and we're working out the details, but uh, Jerry will be appearing with Maria Corelli, who is our co-host on the show, <laughs> at one of her upcoming shows. She's a singer-songwriter, a folk singer, Americana singer. And so we're looking forward to that. And Maria and I are working out the deal because I'm Jerry's agent when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I'm, you know, is it going to be an Elvis impersonation or an original? Did you do any original music in your life, Jerry? Well, when I, when I sing a song, everyone assumes it's original. Yeah. <laughs> they've never I can't heard that what the hell it is. Yeah. What was that you just sang? Did you ever, because uh, Maria asked this last episode and the answer was yes, were you in the college era, a folk singer. You were. Yeah, I mean, but everyone was back then. That's how you got dates. I mean, honestly, guys would play guitars. To, you know, I remember at fraternity parties, I grabbed a guitar, I learned 20 songs maybe, and I would always sing at the parties, and that was because, it sounds stupid, but I really was kind of shy talking to girls or whatever, and so, but if I could get up there and sing... <laughs> You know, That's, that was kind of fun. And, and honestly, and then I got a job here in um, you know, Mahogany Hall. It was a bar in Cincinnati in Mount Adams. And I used to play there two nights a week. Yeah. That, because, that, I mean, there was a, it was a social thing, not because I was a great musician. That's um, how I do yeah. it, is to get dates. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you probably had more success. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if you're playing at, he played at this place, Maria, called Mahogany Hall. Mm. Very cool coffee shop kind mm. of venue in Mount Adams. And, uh, but that's what we call back then playing out. You got money. Oh, yeah. You played. And oh, that's, yeah. that's a oh, yeah. significant still, deal. Definitely still the case. And the folk music <laughs> yeah. of the 60s, honestly, if you knew four chords, you could play a thousand songs. And oh, it was yeah. true of the rock and roll of the 60s, of the 50s and 60s. You know, and you play those, that progression. It's true. It's almost every song you could play with that prog progression. Was, was that one of your originals? <laughs> we'll give that a name. That We've enjoyed having you here. <laughs> give it up. <laughs> give it up for Maria, huh? Wasn't she something? <laughs> May your next job last longer. Okay. <laughs> when we hired Maria, I said, Maria... Give it to him every chance yeah. you can. You know? <laughs> so uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, I do think that will be fun sometime when you're performing that you bring up uh, Jerry Springer. Actually, he'll, he'll sing something. With I him. think so. We'll have to it figure out fun. what that's going to be. Uh, Jerry, I got a question for you. Uh, tragically, a journalist from Saudi Arabia uh, who was in the Saudi in the uh, Saudi consulate in Turkey for some legal reasons that we don't all completely understand yet. And he was never seen again. And the story comes out at the time of this recording of this episode, he was murdered. And everybody's kind of agreeing that is what Yeah, happened. the Saudis are now. And uh, so give, give us your thoughts on that, because that's a huge story of this, not just the, of the day, of this time period. Well, initially, when it happened, uh, obviously, other than the horrific, one, that he was murdered, two, that he was allegedly, or not allegedly anymore, dismembered. Um, I mean, just the, the horror of it all. Uh, but then we were struck by the quickness 
with which President Trump was willing to buy into the Saudi government's cover-up of the story, because initially they were denying that they had anything to do with it. They didn't do it. They didn't know what happened to him. Uh, and, you know, they certainly had no knowledge of it, and they weren't complicit in it happening, all of that. And Trump immediately, instinctively, went to kind of uh, defend the Saudis. Now, on the one hand, you can understand America's desire beyond Trump, America's desire to keep a good relationship with Saudi Arabia. Now, one of the reasons, well, there were several reasons why you, this aside, why you would want to have a good relationship with Saudi Arabia. It's been built up over the years. Obviously, they were giving us oil at a reasonable price. Uh, they purchased our weapon system. Uh, they were an ally or pushback against the influence of Iran in the Middle East. Um, they have a reasonable, considering it's an Arab country, a reasonable relationship with Israel. So they were foreign policy considerations whereby having a decent relationship with Saudi Arabia was in America's interest. But on the other side of the ledger is their horrific human rights record. And we are, understand, we are the only superpower left in the world. And we've been that for the last 20 years, 30 years. So we're the only superpower left. And as such, if we don't stand up for human rights, if we say, yeah, human rights are important, but if we can get oil at a cheap price, or if you will give us some cash to buy our weapons, then we can look the other way, then human rights mean nothing. What moral ground do we have to be the light for the world? Please follow us. Please follow democracies. Please have your people have freedom. Uh, please care about human rights. If you only care about human rights, unless, as long as you get paid for it. But, you know, if you can get paid to look the other way, you'll go that way. Then, of course, it means nothing. And let's face it, Trump does not get that at all. Everything is a financial deal. If he can make money on it, he'll go that way. Now, if this were an isolated incident, if this was just some horrific thing that happened, then we would debate this in this country, have a, re, have a, a good debate about how important are human rights versus um, economic considerations, etc. We'd have that debate, but let's be honest, two weeks from now we'd be on to another issue. That has happened unfailingly for the last two years. War is on to some other issue. But the danger here is, I would argue, that it is not an isolated incident, that we are observing a pattern followed by autocracies throughout the world, historically as well as now. Indeed, what we are witnessing, I would argue, is the blueprint of how fascism begins. Whoa, whoa, I said fascism. And as soon as you say that, everyone understandably leaps up and say, whoa, whoa, stop, you can't talk about Hitler in verse to anything that's in, 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 based on anything that's going on today. And of course not. There's no one's a Hitler. There's never been another Hitler. Stalin came close, but there's no, there's no other Hitler. Okay, put that aside. Of course not. What's happening here in America is not 
the result of what ultimately happened in Germany. But please understand, fascism doesn't start with concentration camps. That's not how it starts. Autocracies throughout the world begin within the country itself, where somebody, a charismatic leader, speaking for a small group initially, works himself or herself, right now I can only think of men, works himself in, within the system into a position of influence and starts getting power, and starts getting power because he appeals to fears and resentments. And that's how every, every dictator we can think of, how it starts. You start becoming a charismatic leader, work within the system, and you get into a leadership position. Compromises are made. We need their votes, so we'll make a deal with them. And that is exactly how, whoever you're talking about, how they got to power. Now, think of all these, the one common denominator that all these autocrats have, all these dictators have throughout history, and those that exist today, and there's a whole slew of them, and we'll go through them in a moment, but every one of them, there has never been a dictator that sleeps well at night. Every one of them has to worry every single day, every single night, whether they're going to be toppled, whether someone is going to try to take them out. The palace intrigue. They always have to be concerned about holding on to power, that they've made someone angry and someone wants this power. They don't sleep well at night. Think about it. Whether it's Hitler, Mussolini, remember Stalin's purges? He was always worried that he would get toppled, so he, he purged, he, he assassinated all the, the opponents. Oh, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, Kim Jong-un, Putin, Assad, they kill even their own relatives to stay in power. They're always so worried. So that's the first thing all these dictators do. They're constantly looking around for who's trying to topple them. The next thing they have to worry about, which is the first public thing that any dictator does, is you don't want the masses to rise up against you, which is why every dictator first takes over the press. Every dictator Eastern countries, European countries, Western societies, when you have a dictator, the first thing they do is gain control. You know, they take over the TV stations. They take over the newspapers. They shut down any opposition. Because you can't, you won't stay in power if the masses get upset with you. And then there'll be people that try to topple you, secret societies. And they were all worry about that. So they start to take over the press. Now, does this sound familiar about what slowly is going on in America? We have heard in the last two years various things. Someone from the outside gets within the system, starts to gain power within the Republican Party, they suddenly need him to win elections, so they're afraid to go against him, and he gains more power. 
Then you suddenly start turning against the press. Quotes from the current administration. The press is the enemy of the people. I'm not making any of this up. This is what our government is telling us. At rallies, he has the crowd taunting the media. How many times have you seen at his rallies where he turns around to the reporters and the cameras in the back of the auditorium, the back of the arena, and says, look at them, there they are. Look at that CNN guy. Look at that MSNBC guy. What's her name? Look at her. Start yelling at her, taunting them. Getting America to be against the press. He threatens the licenses of various networks. Well, take away their license. They shouldn't be allowed to be, they shouldn't be able to be on the air with the stuff they're reporting on. He said this week that wasn't it great when that congressman body slammed a reporter. And he said, wouldn't you like to body slam a reporter? I know I would. He says that. He defends dictators around the world who, who shut down the press or have them poisoned. And whether it's, you know, Putin, Kim Jong-un, and now the Saudis. All these things. It's no one thing that is going to make you think, oh my God, where are we going in this country? It's just one little step that isn't enough to get people really angry. You know, next week you're on to something else. But step by step by step. And then recognizing that there may be bad news coming about, out about the investigation, the, uh, the Mueller investigation and other investigations, what do you do? It's fake news. If you can get the masses, or at least a significant part of the masses, to believe that what they hear on the news, which he knows is, could be bad, is fake, well, then it doesn't matter what is discovered. Whatever is brought against him, it's fake news. You can't believe it. If you lie enough about everything, then you never have to worry about getting in trouble. Because whatever is brought out, eh, it's fake news. It's those networks that shouldn't have licenses. It's the failing New York Times. And then finally, they pollute the social media. They make up, whether it's the Russians helping or whoever, the fact is they are polluting the social media with fake websites, with uh, just fake stories, fake organizations, coming out with all these conspiracy theories. You put all this together, step by step by step, and after a while, I know you want to say, this is, and it's true, this isn't Germany or the Soviet Union of the 1930s. And we grow up in our society believing that's the case. And I guess I still believe in that, that this isn't Germany and this isn't the Soviet Union of the 1930s. But look what's happening around the world now, whether it's Hungary or Austria or even parts of Germany and even parts of England. What is happening? You see these stories, people whose names we can't even pronounce. Suddenly the right wing is gaining power in many of these societies. 
and the press is being shut down. Reporters are being beaten up. Reporters are being killed. It keeps going on. The press is the, en- the enemy. A couple of weeks ago, Democratic opponents, they're evil. The Democrats are evil. Since when are opponents evil? They're opponents. We want you to vote Republican, not Democrat, or vice versa. But the opposition isn't evil. Suppress the vote of minorities. Don't let them vote. Make it difficult for them to vote. Two weeks ago in Manhattan, the Republican Party gave their headquarters to a group called the Proud Boys Gang to have a little convention. It's a white supremacist group that after their meeting went out on the streets in Manhattan and beat up these protesters. They were arrested, but the Republicans hosted this convention knowing what this group was and who was speaking there. It can't happen here, we say. Really? Right, we'd like to bring uh, Michael Jonathan back up. We're happy to have him on this week again to the Jerry Springer podcast. Now, Michael, there is one thing that we wanted to ask you about. Um, when we, uh, we heard about your start into along this journey of American folk and roots music, and uh, we want you to tell us a little bit about that. We know it involves... A name that many of us may know, Pete Seeger. Oh. <laughs> um, how you called him up? <laughs> well, I, I uh, <clears throat> yeah, I grew up uh, in a little town in upstate New York along the Hudson River, um, Beacon, New York. And uh, when I was about 18, a friend called me up and asked me if I wanted to work at a radio station on the Mexican border. So I moved to Laredo, Texas, right, sure. right on the Mexican border, a little, little station called K L A R A M. They gave me the six, the midnight to six a.m. slot, which is the slot they give you when you absolutely suck. And yeah, I was learning yeah. my, I was learning the trade. And a couple months in, about four in the morning, I played a, a song by Roger McGuinn and the Birds, uh, "Turn, Turn, Turn," mm-hmm. to everything, turn, turn. And I noticed that it was written by my neighbor in uh, Beacon, New York. And I thought, oh, that's who Pete Seeger is. <laughs> and so I called him up. I said, Pete, it's Michael from next door. I, I just found out that you're Pete Seeger. <laughs> and he goes, long pause, he goes, well, I have been all my life. Yeah. <laughs> and so I told him I wanted to be a folk singer. He encouraged me to move to the Appalachian Mountains. I moved to Mousie, Kentucky. M-O-U-S-I-E, Mousie, Kentucky. is two mountains away from Minnie, Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh. I'm not kidding. It's true. Yeah. Oh. And I uh, started my... Uh, folk music journey that way. Wow. That's a great story. It's true. (laughs) And I I couldn't help but think about a lot of uh, the things that you say. One of the things that I really like about what Jerry Springer is doing is is the calm alternative thought, a well-thought-out argument, and there's no fighting. It's just just an an intelligent way of presenting different sides of things. And, And right now with the cyber screaming that people are doing to each other, I think that uh, what you're doing is very refreshing, and I I congratulate you on that. It's wonderful. (laughs) 
still not getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as we're, and I was listening to what you were saying and, and stuff, you know, as we're doing the show, there's thousands upon thousands of people moving through Mexico right now, heading to the border, and oddly timed to arrive in America right at the November elections, which is odd in itself. But you know, these are human beings, children, families, and, and people. And here in America, we've uh, busied ourselves with the issue of uh, tearing statues down. And it occurred to me that, that, that tearing the statue down is irrelevant unless you fix the reason the statues went up. And until we solve that, we're not going to be able to solve things like what's happening with the press or solve things about thousands of people moving to the Mexican border or a wall or not. Unless we uh, remove the core of what's wrong in the American heart, none of these actions really make a difference. And so I thought um, I would sing a song about that. It's called The Statue. Justify yourself, you call that liberty, oh no. Black man, white man, angry man. Wrap a rope around a statue that's got blood on its hand, oh no. That war is raging and it burns out of control. Hey, big boy. The hatred deep inside of you That war is raging And it burns out of control Hey, big boy, what have you done To the statue of Robert E. Lee? You might pull it down But the rope remains around the neck Of Robert E. Lee Celebrate all those lies that we lost with something you called a civil war and celebrate all that blood and gore with a statue on your lawn so you hung your soul from the limb of a tree But nothing can erase the history of the statue of Robert E.
fantastic. Really beautiful. Thank you so much, Michael. Uh, we appreciate you coming back uh, to the podcast and having you back here. <laughs> if Jerry will, doesn't destroy the place. I will pay for the nails. <laughs> Can we just get it? What is this, a low-budget place or what? Table malfunction. <laughs> uh, Michael. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's no more. It's got folk in its name, Folk School Coffee Bar. Yeah. Um, will you do us a huge favor and, sure. and lead us out on Down by the River? Sure. Lay down my heavy load Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Down by the river I'm gonna lay down my heavy load Down by the riverside I'm gonna study Recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Down by the riverside, down by the riverside, I'm gonna lay down my sword and shield. Down by the riverside, down by.